Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the pastors here. So glad that you are here with us. We are kicking off a brand new series called Arrested. We'll be back in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is a, a book we see in our, our Bible in our New Testament. It gives us about the first 60 to 70 years of the early church's history. So we learn about these brave men and women who uh, led, sacrificed everything for this great news of Jesus. And so this series, we're going to be talking about being arrested. To be arrested is to be bound up, confined, constrained, stopped in your tracks by someone or something. And so as we dig into these next few weeks, we're going to see how that very much defines the life of the Apostle Paul. And hopefully, I believe we're going to get some lessons for ourselves. So we'll be in Acts 20, a little bit of 20 today, 21 through 25, and excited that you are with us. This week, we're going to wrestle with the question, what are you willing to be arrested for? What are you willing to be arrested for? And again, we'll be in Acts 20, 21. It'll be on the screen in just a few minutes. I grew up in Tampa, Florida. Grew up in Tampa, Florida. Here's a picture of the house that I grew up in. 1709 Erna Drive. If you're ever in Tampa, you can just go by there and say, hey, this is Carlo's house. Harass the owners. I don't know. I don't live there anymore. But uh, uh, love that place. We grew up there. And my parents uh, raised us in this house with a couple of very important key values. We lived in the Wellswood neighborhood, middle class, nice neighborhood in Tampa. And they raised us with a couple of key core values uh, to drive us. The first was to love God. And then they raised us to love each other. And finally, they raised us uh, with this one principle that for the love of everything, don't get in trouble with the law. Very simple, right? Love Jesus, love your brothers and sisters, and for goodness sakes, don't get arrested. My older brother, Eddie, and I, we went out of our way to violate that last principle as much as we possibly could from a very, very, very young age. Now, this house was about three minutes from the church that I grew up in. I joke with our church staff a lot that I'm probably the most churched person on the entire staff. I don't have a memory in my life of ever not being a part of church. I don't, I've never had a memory in my life where I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't say I followed him the whole time, lest you look at me crazy. I didn't say I was doing Jesus stuff, but I've always known, grew up, born and raised in church, and the church we went to was right around the corner from this house. And I remember uh, being about seven or eight years old in kids' church and During a bathroom break, I snuck out of line and snuck out of the church building and went to the convenience store. There's a little convenience store right behind the church, like right next door to it. And I went in there exploring, seven, eight years old, and found a pack of bazooka bubblegum. You guys, any bazooka chewers in the house, right? Don't cheer because bazooka's nasty. You know that gum lasts like 10 seconds. But the comics are funny, right? Um, So chew some bazooka gum, and I needed some caps for my cap gun. I've been asking my dad for some caps for my cap gun. So you know, young folks might not know anything about a cap gun, but uh, I loved my cap gun, and and I needed some caps. And I didn't have any money, but I was already in the store, and so I decided, eight years old, seven years old, uh, I was seized by something. I had to get this gum, and so I stole some gum and stole some caps from the convenience store next to church while I was on a bathroom break from kids' church on a Sunday morning. True story. Thank God for our our kids' workers and our nice little safety protocols we have now, right? This is a different age. Like, I just snuck all the way out. The more I tell that story, the more disturbed I am that I was actually able to break out of church at seven, eight years old. But anyway, 
I was willing to be arrested for some bubble gum and some caps. When I was in the seventh grade, we still lived in this same house, and we were playing football, hanging out, all the buddies, all the fellas, my brother's friends, my friends, you know, a mob of about 10 of us, you know, all between the age of, you know, 13 and, and 17, 18 years old. We were hungry. We decided we needed something to eat. We decided we were broke, but we still wanted food. And so someone planted the seed of the idea, let's go around the corner to ABC Pizza, which was also right across the street from the church we grew up into. You following this trend, right? Let's go to ABC Pizza and let's just eat and see what happens. So we went, we ordered a bunch of pizza. ABC is the greatest place on planet Earth, by the way. Great, great pizza. We, we ordered a bunch of food and we ate. If you're in food service here, by the way, let me just give you some free advice. If you see 10 young men walk into your establishment who are younger than 17 years old, they probably don't have any money and you might want them to pay up front. Uh, before they order their food. Uh, we ordered a bunch of food. We ate the food. And then it's like, okay, what are we going to do? And so one at a time, we went to the bathroom. Parents, don't, kids, don't try this. I'll beat you up if I find out when y'all did this. Uh, I'm not proud of this, but we went to the bathroom one at a time. And then from the bathroom, we snuck out the front door and we got away with like $20, $30 worth of pizza. I've since been back to ABC and more than made up for this, by the way, because I've eaten a lot of pizza there. But uh, we, we, were, we were so hungry, so compelled to do what we wanted to do that we were willing to be arrested over a slice of pizza. What are you willing to be arrested for? Now that you're full of judgment towards me, let's talk about how you were doing 70 down Trenton Road this morning on your way here, right? Oh, y'all got quiet now. Real quiet. I know the movie you bootlegged last week. Come on, you know that's not your Netflix password that you're, that you're using to binge some. Oh, yeah, now y'all got real quiet. Y'all looking at me with judgment for my past sins. Bunch of hypocrites. I'm just playing. I love you guys. We're willing to be arrested over some silly stuff, right? S- silly things. In 1963, a man was arrested who about 10 years before had determined that he had to do something about the injustices that were going around in in the world. There was a cause. People in bondage, something stopped him in his tracks. It seized him and caused him to risk everything. And here's what he wrote. He said, just as the eighth century prophets left their little villages and carried their thus saith the Lord beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the apostle Paul left his little village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus to practically every hamlet and city in the Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Those are the words of Dr. Martin Luther King in his letter from a Birmingham jail where he wrote to cry out to people who were telling him that his cause wasn't, wasn't what as important as he thought it was. They were telling him to be quiet. They were telling him to, to stop what he was doing. And he wrote that he was literally arrested in chains and arrested in his spirit, that he had to do something. He was stopped right in his tracks for something bigger than himself. To be arrested over pizza or a speeding ticket or, or bubble gum, that's foolish. That's selfish stuff. A lot of us are bound up, determined to do our own thing. And, and, but there's a cause that's really worth laying it all on the line for. There really is something that should seize us and stop us in our tracks and, and, and 
point us in a direction of a better way. And if you're here and you don't know anything about God or Jesus, I'm telling you the same thing is true for you. It's this cause of Christ, this way of love, this way of God's justice, this way of mercy, this way of grace that fuels our love, our service, everything that we do. Because what affects one of us affects all of us. And being arrested for ourself, being so caught up in our own way and the things we want to do, it's always going to leave us wanting for more. In fact, it'll lead us to ultimate failure. However, and our big idea today is this, to be arrested by Jesus always leads to real freedom. Being arrested by Jesus frees us to be who God's called us to be, to do great things, to see great things happen in the world. And it may cost us something, but it's so worth it. What are you willing to be arrested for? So, In the book of Acts, we discover this man named Paul. He had dedicated his life to living for God. He was very religious, very educated, and he loved serving God, and he was very zealous for the ways of God. And in his zeal, he began to kill and arrest and persecute this new group of God followers called the Christians. And so he went by the name Saul at the time, but he went after them with everything that he had to arrest them and to hurt them. And one day, as he was on his way to arrest and kill some Christians, Jesus arrested him and killed his pride and killed his self-righteousness. And that began a 30-year journey in the life of the Apostle Paul, first in in the region he was in and then to the entire known Greco-Roman world to preach and teach to people the good news that God is for them, that Jesus saves, that they don't have to figure, figure it out on their own, that Jesus is the answer. And this starts this great movement called the church. It started with one man, Jesus, who sent the early church out to share this good news with everyone. And, and though they were compelled by the Holy Spirit to go places they'd never gone before to proclaim this great truth. And it brings us right here to where we are in the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 to continue this great story that you and I get to be a part of. So this part of the Bible that we're going to be in today, it's very familiar to the great epics that we love to watch and read, maybe the Odyssey or any Lord of the Rings fans in the house. You read Lord of the Rings, these great journeys and travels that people go on. This is very much what this latter half of the book of Acts is like as you watch the Apostle Paul journey from place to place. When we last left Paul, uh, he was in a place called Ephesus, and you can go to onechurch.tv or download our app uh, and listen to our proclaimed series. This is where you'll see a lot of these, these messages. He was in a place called Ephesus, which is in western Turkey, and he was in a big riot, and it was a crazy thing. He almost died, uh, and so from there, he leaves and he travels uh, all the way up into northwest, into Macedonia and into Greece. And then he begins to work his way back southeast through all the places that he'd gone. So he starts in western Turkey, and he moves all the way out to Macedonia and Greece. And then he starts to go all the way back, headed back towards what we now know of as Syria, is where he's headed back to that area. And along the way, he stops and he writes a couple of letters, two to uh, at least two to the church in Corinth. And he writes a letter to the church at Rome that he desperately wants to go to. So if you read our our Bible, 
and you see some of these familiar names, the book of First and Second Corinthians and Romans, Paul wrote while he's on this crazy journey, going from church to church and, and visiting people all along the way. He makes a pit stop in a place called Troas, uh, and he writes and he preaches in Troas a very powerful sermon. It's such an awesome sermon, and it's so long and life-giving, and the room is so excited. No, it really wasn't that. It was such a long service that a guy named Eutychus fell asleep during the sermon. For some of y'all, that's not new. Wake up. Uh, he fell asleep during the sermon, and he fell out of a window and died. Now, if you laughed at that, you're going straight to, you know, I'm just playing. I think it's funny, actually. I pictured in my mind this guy, uh, and, I, and, I, and I picture Eutychus waking up, like, right before he hit the ground, too. That's the, the funny part in the story to me. Like, I feel like I'm falling, you know. Anyway, he falls down and dies. Paul runs downstairs and picks him up, and Eutychus comes back to life. It's a great miracle in the end. Guess what Eutychus' name literally means? Lucky. Isn't that cool? It's crazy. This is all true. It's in the Bible. So after this, Paul continues moving south, southeast. He intentionally avoids western Turkey and Ephesus because, you know, riots and drama and death, and he almost got killed last time he was there. It wasn't a good time. So he avoids that, but he loves the believers in Ephesus so much that he, he arranges a, a meetup with some of them, and they gather with him, and he gives them his heart, and he just talks to them and lets them know, it's the last time I'm going to see you, and they have this big emotional gathering, and he reminds them about how he lived among them, and how he taught among them, and then he drops this bomb on them. It leads us to our text today, Acts chapter 20. Here's what he says to this group, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and what? Suffering lie ahead. I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me, except jail and suffering. It sounds to me like he does know what awaits him, right? Jail and suffering. Bound by the Spirit, even though I know what awaits me is jail and suffering. I was in Atlanta a couple months back with Pastor Chris. As you know, when we go on these, these trips, we eat very healthy and clean, and we try to watch what we're putting in our, in our bodies right. So we were on this trip to Atlanta, and uh, it was a long day of meetings and all that, and I was really hungry. It was about 9.15, 9.30 at night, and I was bound by the spirit of hunger to go to On the Border. You guys know On the Border, Tex-Mex joint? Bound to go to On the Border. I, I was bound by the spirit to, of hunger to uh, eat some empanadas and some churros at 9.30 at night, even though I knew that much suffering would lie ahead, right? I, I was bound to do it. How many times have you been so taken captive by a thought, by something you had to do, even though you knew the consequences? You know you don't need to eat 25 nuclear wings, right? But you're bound by your determination to finish it, even though you know much suffering and imprisonment in the bathroom awaits you, right? You're going to keep doing it. For most of us, that has a negative tone. But for Paul, he was convinced, I got to move forward. Even though I know what lies ahead isn't good for me, I have to keep going. There's something driving him. Let's look what he says, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Think about that sentence. My life is worth nothing unless I use it for finishing the work of God, for doing what God has called me to do. If you're here and you don't know anything about God, you don't know God, I would ask you to fill in the blank yourself. What are you living for? 
What's the purpose? What's the meaning of it all? Here in Paul, we see a person who knew his identity. He was dead set. He knew God had called him to tell everyone that Jesus saves, that God is for them, that you don't have to figure it out on your own, that in Jesus, we have a way now to be reconciled to each other, reconciled to God. And I must tell everyone about this great news. And he knew life means nothing without that. This isn't the first time he's going to use strong language like this. He writes to the church at Philippi. He uses even stronger language to talk to them about the life. But Paul had to tell people the good news that God is for them. What do we learn from this? We learn that obedience, following what God's called you to do, will lead you to God's will. It'll lead you to God's will. So you could do a whole sermon series on what is God's will. That's the kind of spiritual thing to talk about. But God's will is, is very, very simple. Here's, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22 as he's about to give his life for the world. He says, Father, he's praying to God. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. It's not the first time we hear Jesus talk about the will of the Father. What is God's will? It's very simple. His will is that everyone should know Jesus. Everyone should be saved. Everyone should follow Jesus. Very, very simple. That we live out that salvation by loving one another, by bringing heaven to earth. That's the will of God. Very, very simple. And Paul was willing to risk it all for the sake of doing what the Spirit of God had compelled him to do. What are you willing to be arrested for? Let's fast forward in the story. Paul says goodbye to the Ephesians, and he sets sail for Tyre, which is in southern Lebanon, just so we're sure where we are in the world. And eventually, he makes his way down to Caesarea, which is northwestern Israel. And after hanging out with some friends and visiting for a while, he has this conversation with them. Acts chapter 10, or excuse me, 21. Acts chapter 21, verse 10 says this. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own hands and feet with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. What a bummer this Agabus is. Like, we were having a good time, a party. We were visiting, eating lemon pound cake, you know, church food, fried chicken and pound cake. And this guy shows up, takes off his belt, Paul's belt, and wraps him up and says, Paul, you're about to get arrested. And it's not my words. He uses the God card, right? The Holy Spirit declares you're going to die, right? What a, what a friend we have in Agabus, right? Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. You read at verse 12 and say, so what? It's very important to pay attention to this language. Context is king, right? When we're reading, we heard this. We begged Paul not to go. Who is the we? Well, if you might not know this because you might not have been involved in the series. If you have, we got to remember who's writing down these words. This is a man named Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. Luke is there eyewitness with Paul through a lot of these journeys. He's with Paul when God tells Paul, you are going to be arrested. You are going to be in chains, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to protect you. You're going to stand before kings. You're going to stand before giants. Luke was witness to a lot of these things that God had done in Paul and was doing in Paul. And yet even Luke is among the we begging Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. These are all respected people, people Paul loved, people he trusted, people he poured his life out for. And what are they telling him to do? Don't go to 
Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on Paul's mind for a long time now. He's bent. I have to go. I must go to Jerusalem. I have to keep going to Jerusalem. He had an offering that he wanted to give them, but there was more than that. There's something inside of him drawing him towards this direction. And I believe that something is God's will for his life because God's will was that everyone know, everyone know that Jesus loves them, is for them, is Lord of their lives, has saved them. And so Paul's bound, but the people are telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. When I was in my 20s, one of my mentors told me that joining the army would be a huge mistake. Don't join the army. I should really reconsider it. When I was in the army, one of my closest mentors there told me that I should reconsider pursuing a life of vocational ministry, that I should not try to become a pastor. Instead, just be a Christian who's a regular soldier, but you don't need to go be a pastor. And he was really trying to convince me that, ah, that's probably not the best thing that you should do. After five years of full-time being a pastor, a very seasoned pastor in, told me that if I was transparent about my shortcomings, that no one would respect me and no one would ever have me in their church to do ministry or to teach the Bible. If I was too transparent about my flaws, if I was too real, people don't like that. You should tone it down. And I think and imagine, where would I be if I would have listened to any of those people? I knew I have to go. I'm bound by the Spirit to keep it real, to be myself. I'm bound by the Spirit to say yes to Jesus and do this pastoral call. I knew that God called me when I was 14, 15 years old. I knew I'm supposed to teach people about Jesus for the rest of my life. No one could tell me anything different. And I knew that I needed to go to the army at that time in my life. I knew it. I knew I'd heard from God. I knew it was the thing to do. And I just think, where would I be if I would have listened to these people? Some people, even though they may be well-meaning, may try to get you to live up to their own version of success, to their own version of winning. And Paul's friends, well-meaning, they had their own ideas for what God's will for Paul's life would be like. They had their own plans for what his life should look like, and they really didn't want him to go do this. But Paul had to listen to Jesus. I shared with you earlier that letter from Dr. Martin Luther King. He spoke up about racial injustice, and many well-meaning Christians told him to sit down and shut up. In fact, the letter to the Birmingham jail was written specifically to pastors, specifically white pastors, Caucasian pastors in his community who were telling him, wait, slow down, sit down, stop talking about this, calm down, don't be a troublemaker. He actually wrote those words to that collective group, begging them to join his cause and to speak up and to stand up. Recently, a well-known speaker and, and author and, and church research guy, Ed Stetzer, he's spoken out a lot about the institutional injustices uh, perpetrated by the church against women, abuse and things like that that have been coming to light. And he's actually had well-meaning believers tell him, hey, Ed, just stick to teaching the Bible. Stay in your lane. Stop stirring up trouble and talking about all this stuff. We here at One Church, we believe that uh, Jesus is the answer, that God is for us. We know that because he sent us Jesus, and so we're going to be loud and proud about that. We're going to do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. We're going to invest in people and invite them to Jesus, and we're going to be loud and proud about that. And even we have people who want us to chill out. Like, you guys might grow if you talk, stop talking about that Jesus stuff. I think the Jesus stuff is the road to growth, to be honest with you. He's the one that changes lives. But there's always these voices, well-meaning Bless their heart. That's Southern for the middle finger, right? Well-meaning people, well-meaning people 
who tell us to be quiet. If you're not here and and the big re- if you're here and the big reason that you're not into Jesus or any of that stuff is because of some of those injustices, I said, I want you to know you're in a place where we want to do better. That's why we want to be for Clarksville. For far too long, people have talked about what the church is against. We want to be known by what we're for. And when you know that God is for you and we're going to be for you in word and in deed. Paul's friends, they did not see imprisonment as victory. So they did their best to persuade him not to go. And you might have people who don't see following Jesus as victory in your life, and they may persuade you to do something else. But here's what Paul says, verse 13. Paul said to his friends, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's, what? Will be done. There it is again. The Lord's will be done. So we learn that obedience leads to God's will, and obedience leads to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus said as they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Here's what he said. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your what? Will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God, the kingdom of God. Here we have it again. First, Jesus later on praying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And as he's teaching his followers how to talk to God, before he tells them to ask God for anything, what does he tell them to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the kingdom of God? That sounds really spiritual and fancy. It's simply the will and the ways of God active in our lives right now. Very simple. What's the will of God? That everyone follow Jesus, that we follow Jesus. What are the ways of God? How did Jesus live his life? Love, healing, mercy, peace, all the stuff that Jesus did active in our lives right now. That's the kingdom of God. The good news of Jesus is not an evacuation plan. Did you know that? It's not just a ticket to heaven. We don't just, the purpose of life is not to arrive safely at death. Jesus came not just to forgive us of our sins, but to conquer evil. This isn't an evacuation message. This is an evasion, invasion message. Heaven is here. Heaven has arrived in the name of Jesus, and now he's in us, and we get to participate in that awesome work that God is doing right now. It's powerful. It's not just about going to heaven. Heaven has come to us in the name of Jesus. That's why we're for people. That's what we want to show the world. That's why we want to get outside of the walls of the building, outside the walls of our own ideologies and reach people with this awesome news. This is what Paul was absolutely compelled to do. Verse 15 says, after this, we packed up our things and we left for where? Jerusalem. After this, we packed up our things and we left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us and they took us to the home of Nason, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. So they tried their best to compel Paul. He wasn't having it. He told them this is the will of God. And so they all finally, okay, let's pack up and let's head towards Jerusalem. They wanted Paul to play it safe, to not rock the boat. The problem was he had been arrested by Jesus. Paul knew that to stay silent, to resist the direction of the Holy Spirit would be a greater prison than following hard after Jesus. He had to speak up. He had to say something. Silence is not spiritual. It's not. 
Not when you have life-giving news. Not when you have a life-changing message. Not when you see something wrong is happening. That's not the way of God. I have to say something. I have to do something about it. This is what he decides, Paul decides to do. Being arrested for Jesus leads to real freedom. Even though there were some chains there temporarily, he knew ultimately this is going to lead not just to him being able to be free in Christ and do what God's called him to do, but it would lead to many other people becoming free. What do we learn from Paul? We learn that obedience leads to the will and the kingdom of God. We learn that obedience leads to the goodness of God. Anybody want the goodness of God in their life? I know I do. I'm glad Kim does. The rest of y'all, y'all need, we'll pray for y'all. We'll have a, even though we'll have a third service during the movie, we'll meet out in the hallway, right? We want the goodness of God in our life. Here's what Paul says about the goodness of God in Romans 8. He says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to what? His prayer. There it is again, the will and the kingdom of God doesn't say everything that happens is good. It doesn't say that everything that happens is God. It says we know God will cause all things to work together for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose, to his will. You're doing God's stuff. He's going to be with you. And even in the pain, even in the drama, even in the setback, he's still more than able to work that out for his goodness, the goodness of God. Next week, we'll see what happens to Paul when he actually lands in Jerusalem. But let me ask you, what are you willing to be arrested for? What are you willing to be arrested for? Don't just limit that word arrested to actually put in jail. I mean, what are you willing to let stop your soul in its tracks to seize you, to change the course of your life? Dr. Martin Luther King and the fathers of the civil rights movement, they were willing to be arrested over the unjust, uh, injustice that was happening in their world. They stood up for the just cause of racial equality in our nation because, like he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Poor people in our community today, they often feel like everyone is against them. Did you know that? Black people in our community feel like the white system is out to get them. White people in our community feel like populist opinions and groupthink are out to get them. Women feel like the patriarchy is forever out to oppress them. Men feel like the mass media is hell-bent on emasculating them. All of these feelings are real and powerful. And the pursuit of righting these injustices, I think, is, is noble for sure when we really think about it. However, there's a greater injustice. I think there's a greater cause. As good as some of those causes are, as righteous as some of those causes are, I think there's a greater injustice. And the greatest injustice is when those who have the truth of Jesus, the life-changing good news, that there is an answer and his name is Jesus. When we choose to not share that with other people, I think that's the greatest injustice in the world. To have Jesus, to sit in this room and believe that Jesus is the savior of your soul, that he's helped you and that he is good, and to see someone hurting and suffering and not offer them the same life-giving hope and peace that you have found, to me, as the greatest injustice of all. To see the evils in the world, whether it's racism or poverty or sexism, to see these terrible evils in our world and not speak the answer into those problems, I think it's the greater injustice. Jesus saves. He's the hope. He's the answer. So we bring Jesus to people in word and 
indeed, and all of us are called to do that. We invest in people by loving them right where they are. We invite them not to a church, not to a program. We invite them to Jesus. When we say, come with me to onechurch.tv, it's not to hear me talk. It's not to hear Justin sing. It's we know here we believe you're going to encounter the life-changing truth of Jesus. We invite people to Jesus. And Paul, he considered his life worthless if he didn't do what God called him to do. Like we learned a couple series ago in our Enough series, bondage comes when we buy into the lie that God is not enough. When we buy into the lie that success equals safety and comfort, we're actually imprisoning ourselves. But when we faithfully follow Jesus, we realize that even though suffering may come, we're actually going to be walking in freedom. Real success is faithfully following after Jesus. I'm convinced God wants us to be so for our city that nothing would keep us from serving and from loving and from speaking for the sake of the Lord Jesus, because silence is not spiritual. So what do we do with this? Three things, practical things we do to live out what we're learned from the Apostle Paul. The first thing is this. Remember, don't be persuaded by someone else's definition of success. Just like someone tried to tell me not to do ministry, some of you here, you're headed in a direction. God's pointed you in a direction, and you know there's some tough things you need to do and you're listening to these people tell you, you you shouldn't do it. What step do you need to take this week to say, no, I got to keep going forward. I got to faithfully follow Jesus. Success equals faithfulness. So don't quit. When I was a teenager, my student pastor, John Harwell, he would tell us that all the time. Guys, just be faithful. Just show up every day. You mess up, get up. Keep following Jesus. Keep going after Jesus. Faithfulness, that's the definition of success. This week, what's the step you need to continue to take? And all of us know we we have our own thing. Keep moving forward. Keep connecting to that group. Don't let the excuses of holidays, don't let the excuses of whatever life busyness may come your way. Make time for God. Make time for your community. Make time to show up. I'm telling you, you'll see real success. Second thing is this, pray and seek the will of God. Pray and seek the will of God. That seems kind of big picture. How do I do that? What is the will of God? Were you not paying attention like 10 minutes ago? I already told you the will of God. It's very simple. You want people to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Very simple. I want people to know Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus. And everything that I do, God, I want people to know you, and I want to know you. And that's where you start. Some of us are stuck because we want like the laser specific. God, could you tell me exactly what date and time and location I need to be at? On the You can keep praying that all you want to and keep waiting. A lot of people are wanting this fresh word from God. I want to hear something new from God. There's like 66 books worth of stuff he's already told you to do, given you the power to do, given you the community to live that stuff out in. What else does he have to say for you to take a step forward? So pray for and seek the will of God. Why should I do that? Because I want the loudest voice in my life to be God's voice. So when I'm saying, God, what do you want? What's your will? What do I do? How do I, if I'm connected to God's plans and purposes, and if I make my life's mission, man, I want the will and the ways of God to be active in my life. It makes it easier to ignore all the voices that we hear around us. Who is the loudest voice in your life right now? Is it MSNBC, Fox News, Breitbart, CNN, the White House, Facebook, your friend who always sends you those really awesome memes, right? Who's the loudest voice in your life? I want the loudest voice in my life to be the will of God. 
God, what do you have to say about the matter? God, what do you have to say about this situation? What does God say about it? And then I go from there. So that's very simple. That's a practical step. That means you leave this room and you find your quiet space and you go to your phone, smartphone users, and you go, hey, Siri, set a reminder at 930 to pray for God's will. Very simple. Look, I just did that and Siri said it. Seriously, just remind me. Set the reminder and then pray. And if you don't know how to pray, just start with what Jesus did. Hey, God, you're awesome. I'm not. Your will be done here as it is there. That's this very, very simple way to pray and to walk that out. Third thing is this, be obedient to what God is saying. This is the tough part, right? All of us love to ask God for stuff, but doing the stuff, that's a whole different thing. It's an old cliche in church world. If you're new to church world, let me teach you a new church cliche. A lot of Christians believe you should never pray for patience. Did you know that? A lot of Christians believe, don't pray for patience. Why? Because God's going to sit you next to the person you're sitting next to, and you're going to have to learn patience real quick, right? Pray for patience. God, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be patient. And then your kid comes home from school. Tell me I'm lying, right? So we've just made a practice of, God, I'll ask you for anything, but not patience, because I know how you teach me. No, you got to be obedient to what God is saying. So I looked through some of the One Church sermons recently and, and saw, what are some of the things God's been telling us through our messages? You know, what God's been telling us is to move toward the mess. Move toward the mess. Messy people. Uncomfortable situations. Embrace the uncomfortableness of life. Move towards the mess, because people are worth the mess. God's taught us that loving is tied to giving. I got to be generous. See, our part is obedience. God's part is the answering. He shows up and he does the big work. All of those things help us live out this life. Being arrested by Jesus always leads to real freedom. I want to be so bound up, so constrained by him that I cannot help but do what he's called me to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your truth. Thank you for saving us, for calling us. God, for making us brand new. Help us as we live this out, God, to trust in you and to turn to you and to you alone. If there's a person here in this room today, God, who's not, doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with with you, church is new to them, I pray they would take a step towards you today. Maybe that step would be to say, God, I've blown it. I've tried to do things on my own, and I need your help. I need you to save me, God. And I know as they pray that prayer in their way, you show up and do what only you can do. You bring new life. You change hearts. God, for the person here who's chasing hard after you, but life is hard, they're headed in a tough direction, God, would you give them the faith of Paul? Give them that fortitude to keep on trusting in you. God, we thank you so much that you are good, that you are for us. Help us to take this great message that, God, you bring freedom, you bring hope, and you bring life. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing one more song.